listeners. We're back with another great conversation on impacting the classroom. If this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where we dig into big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I am your host, Marnetta Larimer. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Daryl Greenfield, a professor of psychology and pediatrics at the University of Miami, whose work is specifically focused on early childhood science education. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Greenfield. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited to be here. Wonderful. I'm also joined by my colleague, Teachstone Senior Director of Social Impact, Veronica Fernandez. Hey, Veronica. Hi. (laughs) Now, Veronica, I understand that you and Dr. Greenfield have collaborated before. Tell us about your previous work at the University of Miami. Absolutely. So Dr. Greenfield was actually one of my professors when I was in college. So we go way back. And then he was my co-mentor in graduate school. And we collaborated even after graduate school on many projects. We led several projects in Miami around the understanding and improving interactions for young children. And we were working on promoting equity for culturally and linguistically and racially diverse children within our community, which was a lot of fun. I miss him greatly, but I'm glad we get to continue collaborating. Wonderful. Dr. Greenfield, can you tell us about your experience working with Veronica? Veronica and I seem to have known each other forever. As she pointed out, she was an undergraduate uh, at the University of Miami and was involved in uh, research. We have projects where we we want undergraduates to have the experience of hands-on, minds-on research. So she was involved in in community research working in the Miami-Dade community. Uh, She then, uh, when graduated, got involved with with, uh, a state-funded project called our Early Learning Coalitions. And we have one here in Miami-Dade County uh, there's a number of, of work groups, and she and I have been on a series of group work groups, bumped into each other all the time, <laughs> and I slowly convinced her, Veronica, you need to get a PhD, which she has done and has been an amazing contributor to the field of early childhood and continues to do so. We agree. Very lucky to have her here at Teachstone. <laughs> and thank you for your tutelage, right, and encouraging her with those further steps. So Dr. Greenfield, you're on the Committee of Enhancing Science and Engineering in Pre-Kindergarten through Fifth Grades, and your committee recently released a 300-page report called Science and Engineering in Preschool through Elementary Grades. Can you tell us what this paper is about? So the the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine periodically produce what they uh, refer to as a consensus volume, and it's, it's a very serious piece of work. What they typically do is they try to find sponsors. Uh, and they put together a committee who works somewhere from around a year and a half to two years. And they take a particular topic. There's a charge that is associated with the topic. So we have, an, it's not just some free form sort of thing, but we have a particular charge. So our two sponsors for this particular volume was the Carnegie Corporation of New York and the Robin Hood a Learning and Technology Fund. And the, the charge uh, that they gave us was to provide guidance on sort of effective approaches to science and engineering instruction in preschool to fifth grade that supports success of all students. So uh, briefly, uh, the report, the entire report is available for free as a PDF, you can download it for free. We've also done a a series of webinars uh, for particular audiences. We did one for early childhood, so you can view those as well. But sort of quickly, the charge was, to look into what kinds of learning experiences 
prior to entering school will help prepare children for science and engineering learning in, in the elementary grades. Uh, we were also to look at, at promising instructional approaches for enhancing science and engineering in preschool through fifth grade. How can science and engineering be connected to or integrated with other subject areas such as math, computer science, English, language arts? What is the role of curriculum and instruction materials? What professional learning opportunities are needed? How do policies and practices at the national, state, and local level either constrain or facilitate effort to enhance science and engineering in preschool to fifth grades? And then how, what are the gaps in the current research and what are the key directions for research, both short and long-term to fulfill those gaps? So our report uh, is quite long, but it's divided into a series of chapters with each chapter focusing on sort of a particular topic area that's highly relevant. So we have 10 chapters in total. The first chapter is an introduction and sort of lays the foundation uh, for what our report is about. And it, it lists sort of all of our, our, our findings and recommendations. And then we go into the details of the work that we did. So we have a chapter on systems and structures. We have a chapter on contextual nature of learning, how children learn, uh, the development of, of, of children's proficiencies, a chapter on learning environments and instructional practices, one on integrating across domains, a chapter on sort of curriculum and instructional materials, uh, a chapter on how to support educators, a chapter for leadership or transforming leadership. And then our last chapter, chapter 10, is really a list of our recommendations uh, based on sort of the evidence. It, again, this is, this is very rigorous because uh, the committee spent, our committee spent nearly two years reviewing research, writing sections of the report. Everyone on the committee read the entire report and had to agree what, what was in it. And then after that, the Academy sent the report out to a series of independent reviewers who read the report um, and really looked at the evidence and uh, wanted to say, can we justify the recommendations that we made based on the evidence? And in some cases, you know, they told us, you know, we need to tone down a little bit, or uh, we could say a little bit more in terms of sort of, does the evidence support our recommendations and conclusions? Thank you so much for that. You mentioned earlier on about some gaps in the research. Can you expand on that? What did you guys discover? So there's a, a fair amount of issues around uh, sort of, for example, potential role of science and engineering in creating equity uh, and justice. And I, I, I will talk a little bit about that with specific examples from the research that I'm doing in early childhood. But the, the basic concern is that we have demonstrated in the report that science and engineering are critical areas uh, for students in terms of their ability to learn how to think, how to, how to problem solve. We know that, that the problems of our future students are ones that we don't know, you know potentially what those might be. So we can't have students who simply have rote memorized information um, or, or um, ha have solutions that are very specific to what's already happened. Like science really is not so much about learning what we already know, but it's a method for learning what we don't know. So uh, one of the, the issues in the report is that although science and engineering is really critical, it's really undervalued. We don't ha have enough resources, we don't support it enough. Uh, and there's a fair number of recommendations 
how to support teachers, what we, what we need uh, support at the local, the state and national levels to be able to make science and engineering a more critical focus of not just the, the K-12 system, uh, but beginning uh, even earlier. And in, in our report starts at preschool, but as we know, preschool is not necessarily a magic age where children start to, to learn about their world. You know, we need, to, we need to start early, but our particular charge was focused from preschool through the elementary grades where science and engineering just is not happening enough. Uh, we need to build that foundation. You can't wait till the kids are teenagers to start to get them involved in, in science and engineers. And we need to, to have a greater representation among uh, sort of the diversity of the population. It can't be just one single group that does science and engineering. Thank you for that. You talked about a lot of things there. You talked about, you know, roads and the importance of that process of learning and challenging children's thinking, right? Talk to us about how your research ties to class, right? Because we have done some collaborations, right, with you. Um, I know you were at, you were a keynote at one of our Interact summits, and you really talked about um, how those things are interconnected and how class supports science and math learning. Can you talk more about that? Sure. So as um, uh, you, you are aware, and, and hopefully the audience is aware, class is, is about uh, the quality of interactions. Uh, and it's, it's not so much about necessarily what is being taught, although that is critical. It's really about uh, setting the stage for children fe feeling comfortable and supported emotionally, uh, to, uh, to be able to feel a safe space, you know, to be able to learn it's, a, it's, about, it's about sort of organizing uh, the classroom activities so that uh, there's not a lot of wasted time. And also the critical uh, piece for us, and I think this the area that's, that science and engineering shines is in the area of instructional support. You know, and not, not uh, sort of focusing a huge amount of time on just rote learning, memorizing information, seeing a teacher do an experiment and then replicate that particular experiment demonstrate that you can come up with the correct answer. So the uh, science and engineering has actually gone through uh, a sort of major transformation for how it is being taught in the K-12 system that really sort, sort of supports the notion uh, of the quality of interactions that class emphasizes. So just sort, sort of like a brief history of this, starting somewhere in the early 2000s, the group that, that does the advanced placement tests were concerned by the fact that a lot of the students uh, do well in an advanced placement class, they take the test, but then when they go off to college, uh, they struggle. And it's also the case that a fair number of the brightest uh, students don't want a career in engineering and science. So they began to look into this and the National Academies of Sciences right afterwards said, no, we just can't focus on high school. We really need to think through you know, starting say in kindergarten to get a better understanding of, of sort of the precursors and the foundation for this. And they put together a working group uh, and that group put together a set of recommendations and they actually wrote a volume called Taking Science to School that was published in 2007. It got a lot of feedback from stakeholders that sort of a back and forth review. And what they basically said is that the reason the students are struggling. And the reason why students don't want to go into science and engineering as careers is that we are currently teaching or teaching science in a very disconnected way from students' everyday lives. 
and we're covering a huge number of, of topics and not in a very uh, level of depth and understanding. Uh, the description of, of sort of our science education system was it is a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, and as a consequence, students like, why would I want to be a scientist or an engineer? This is like boring. This is, you know, I spend my life doing this sort of stuff. So the initial volume that came out in 2007, Taking Science to School, said we really need to rethink how science is being taught. And what they argued for was science needs to be an active process. We need to engage the students in both hands-on, so actively engaging in learning by doing, as well as thinking about you know, what are the principles that I'm and the concepts that I'm acquiring as, as I'm doing science. And instead of covering a huge number of topics over the K-12 system, let's limit the topics to ones that are highly critical for being a human on our planet. So ideally, we'll have some number of the students that think, yes, this is going to be a good career. But in general, the whole goal was that anyone who's in the K-12 system is going to be exposed to science in a way that's going to make them science illiterate. And they then said, what we'll do is, is we'll have a small number of topics that need to be learned starting in kindergarten and even you know, potentially earlier, uh, as our report argues for, by getting students to acquire this knowledge, these topics, not by rote learning, but by actually doing, engaging in scientific practices. And a small set of scientific practices were outlined. And they need to, to think about broad, important, overarching concepts that are part of all of science, but in essence are ubiquitous to being a human on the planet. Uh, and interestingly, although the report was entitled Taking Science to School, Kindergarten through Eighth Grade, they actually had a whole chapter, chapter three, that talked about, as, as I mentioned, the fact that science doesn't start when you're in kindergarten. You know, young kids are, are ripe for engaging in science and engineering. And then in 2012, what ended up happening, a, a new framework, a conceptual framework for K-12 science education came out. And then various sorts of things happened at the national level during the Obama administration. Uh, there was a day-long symposium. There are a series of reports uh, that had been published. I was part of a group uh, supported by, by um, some funders in Chicago. We created a report, Early STEM Matters, again, sort of laying out some general principles that were important, not just for science and engineering, but also early childhood. And uh, we now, and just this past year, through funding from Carnegie and the Robin Hood Foundation, published this consensus volume about what are the issues, what do we know about science and engineering from preschool through the elementary grades and how do we, how do we begin to support and make that a greater influence? Thank you so much. So many things that tie to what we do here at Teachstone, right? How to intentionally integrate what children are learning, scaffolding and questioning their responses and challenging their thinking, right? Getting them to use more higher order thinking, those hands-on experiences, connections to the real, right? Like all of those things you were saying in what you stated. So that clear alignment of class and that instructional support domain was very present in all of that. Thank you for tying that together for us. I'm just going to say it's been a, a little bit since I've been in the classroom, right? But I do remember that just working with colleagues or even as supporting them as coaches in my previous role, science is scary, especially when you don't have, like we lean into what's comfortable, right? So how do we demystify 
science and make it more accessible for our ECE teachers to help to encourage them to engage children in science learning. I'm going to uh, move, move a little bit away from the report and talk about what we've been doing and in, with infant toddlers and preschool age children uh, within the Educare Learning Network. So uh, a couple of the foundations that are associated with Educare Learning Network um, created um, what they refer to as acceleration grants. In 2002, if you're not at all familiar with the Educare Learning Network, there's, we can give you a link to it, the, the uh, website uh, or all our, our resources and lists of our schools are provided. But the, the network started in 2002 with a program in Chicago and a program um, in Omaha. And the network slowly expanded. Uh, in 2007, Miami joined the network and, and Veronica and I were involved as sort of the uh, local research partner for, for Miami when she was here. And the network has slowly grown to where now we're over 20 sites around the country. We initially had four sites and we moved up to 14 sites uh, the pandemic has made this a little bit uh, more difficult. But what we end up doing is when we go we go visit a center for the first time, and these are all around the country, uh, we start off just by telling the teachers who are sometimes embarrassed by the fact that, uh, you know, science is something we're supposed to be doing, but we don't really do it. We're not really sure how. We need to focus on language and literacy and math. But we end up saying, like, uh, we just want to sort of hang out for the first day or so and just kind of see what's happening in your classroom. If you don't mind, we'd like to do a little bit of, a bit of videotaping and take pictures. Now we do that. And then, then when we meet with them for the training, we present to them uh, the framework, this K-12 framework, which we have adopted for early childhood. And uh, Veronica and I are, are applied developmental psychologists. So we are not gonna say, okay, let's go backwards, but rather let's look at infants and let's see the degree to which infants are behaving like scientists and engineers. And when you do that, uh, what you end up seeing is that they really are scientists and, and engineers. And the reason for that is if you think about maximizing opportunities for learning to occur, what you want to do is you want to choose a topic that is engaging both physically and mentally and is goal-directed, motivated uh, by the learner. So if you think about what is the thing that is most motivating and goal-directed for, for young ones, infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, and you know, even in the early elementary grades to learn, it is the world that I've been born into, like sense-making, right? And, and what, it, what is it about? It's about people, plants, animals, right? That's life science. It's about the objects you interact with, you know, things that roll and bounce, whatever you know, happens when you mix two things together. Uh, it's physical science. You know, it's like you, know, you go outside, it rained, you know, there's a puddle. You know, jumping in the puddles is a lot of fun, but then the sun comes out, where'd the puddle go? Uh, so you've got earth and space science, and then there's always the engineering and technology that's everywhere around us. You know, you put your hand, you, know, you, you go to a bathroom in a, a public place, you put your hand under, the water turns on, the towels come out, you know, you go to a crosswalk, there's a little uh, sort of a ramp uh, with bubbles on it, you know, to lead into the crosswalk. You have a crosswalk area, you know, that has a pattern, you know, typically white, white, dark, white, dark. And then you also have the light that follows the pattern, right? It goes green, it goes yellow, it goes red, it repeats itself. And these are sort of important indicators for young kids because instead of like memorizing colors, you know, on, you know, on a piece of paper, 
What does green mean in our environment? Green means go. If you see a sign that's green, you know, okay, that's safe. I can go there. If you right. see a sign that's yellow, you know, that's caution. I need to be careful. If you see a sign that's red, you know, uh, there's something uh, not so good there. I got to be very, very careful. Don't really go there. So they're exposed to all of these particular topics, you know, and they want to learn them because it's motivating. It's, it's you know, sense-making for them. And, and what the framework does and what our adaptation of the framework does, it says science opportunities are everywhere. And as a consequence, take advantage of what children are interested in. Think about what the local context provides as opportunities and think about the influence of culture because culture influences how we learn and use those to teach kids about the world in which they live, their everyday lived lives by engaging them and helping them understand these particular topics by engaging in practices, observing, describing, asking questions, trying to solve a particular problem. Uh, how do you plan and carry out an investigation to do that? What predictions do you think? You know, and the goal is to create a culture of inquiry in which every child is viewed as your opinion um, or your ideas matter. Right. We're not going to you know, say, well, one person, you know, this is what they say, so we all have to follow that. And the basic goal of science is, is to sh share in a very equitable way everyone's ideas. And then you, then you document those ideas, you document the predictions, and then you, know, you plan and carry out the investigation and see what happens. So it's a community in which everyone honors everyone else and everyone is allowed to express. And again, by learning it as a community, you learn better than trying to do that on your own. So as a consequence, what ends up happening, this equity and justice is built into the system. And what we end up doing is when we present the framework uh, to the teachers after we videotape and we give them some you know, sort of simple exercises to do initially, we then show them uh, what's happening in their classroom and we have them back map the activities in the classroom onto the framework. Like, what, do you, what are the kids learning about? You know, when they're in free play, what are they trying to understand? And it's, you know, something about their world. How are they doing this? They're engaging in practices, right? They're planning and carrying out investigations. They're trying things. They're observing and describing. You know, they're predicting what's going to happen. And then there's concepts that are available to them, like cause and effect happens everywhere. Patterns are everywhere. Structure function relationships. And what's also nice about the science and engineering is that language happens. And it's not yeah. language of memorizing a word. It's language that's relevant to the concepts that children are learning. You know, social emotional aspects come into play because you have to work together. So science actually is an excellent road to improve uh, children's instructional support because it's, but you know, as you as you were saying, these inter these high quality interactions that focus not on just so much compliance, which obviously is important, but focus on the quality of the classroom on quality teaching and learning. Thank you so much. Veronica, I'm itching to know your thoughts, right? So with your experiences around, you know, science and the ECE <laughs> educator, what are you doing and what has your experience been to help to make this easier for them? Yeah, I think one of the things, a few things that Daryl touched upon was this idea that science can be intimidating because the way we learned science back in the day, right, was a was a lot of memorization of complicated facts, right? And I think that 
in our evolution of science education, we've evolved from memorization to understanding, right? And application into our real world. And those are a lot of the points that Daryl made. And I think that with educators, when they're nervous and they say, well, I didn't do that well in science, or I don't understand chemistry deeply. One of the things that we did in in some of the workshops that Daryl was talking about is that we presented them with two scenarios, right? Because it's helpful for them to see the application in the real world. And we say, okay, The first scenario is an educator who really knows a lot of scientific facts. Like this person really knows everything there is to know about how grass grows, right? And she's walking with a child on a sidewalk and there's a crack in the sidewalk and there's a little blade of grass that's sticking out of the sidewalk. And a child says, hmm, why is grass growing there, right? A question that a child might ask. And this educator who knows everything there is to to be about science, goes into this whole explanation and tells the child why it is that it's growing and using scientific knowledge and bringing in scientific terms and giving all of that explanation. And the child just sort of looks at this educator is a little bit overwhelmed by the response and goes, okay, and walks away, right? Scenario two, same thing. You have a curious little child who notices that a blade of grass is growing and asks the teacher, hmm, why is grass growing there? And this educator doesn't know all the scientific facts, but pauses, takes a moment to notice with the child, gets down to this child's level. They observe the blade of grass together. The educator models a series of questions, right? I wonder, I don't know why the grass is growing there. Where does grass typically grow? And they have these conversations about the grass and they notice the crack on the floor. They follow that crack. They they label, they observe, they describe, they talk, they ask questions together. And the educator is willing to go on a learning journey with the child and says, I don't know, but let's find out together. And they go on that learning journey together. And when you reflect on which child benefits more from that interaction, is it the educator who knows all of those scientific facts, who, you know, has a master's degree in chemistry, or is it the educator who is willing to engage in interactions that are intentional and learn alongside the child, right? So we, we, do a lot of other things through those conversations, but it's helping educators to understand that willingness is more important than a a knowledge bank of scientific facts. So we can get educators to understand that and be more willing to just learn alongside children to know that they don't have to have all the facts, but just be willing to slow down, to pause, to notice, to observe, to talk, to label, to describe, to ask questions, to test things out, even if it doesn't work out, um, to revisit and try it out again. That's where the magic of scientific thinking and learning happens for young children. Most definitely. So we want those we want educators to be just as curious, right? Remember their toddler years, right? <laughs> Get dirty, <laughs> move things, right? Like have that same curiosity and interest in, yeah, that parallel, that then everything else is like a parallel process, right? Like um, of learning together, those open-ended questions, because you're trying to figure that out and learn too, so you can scaffold the child's learning. Like, yeah, I like I like what both of you guys said. So much information in there for our um, early childhood educators to really lean into science as more of what it is, right? It's easily accessible. They're doing it already, but it's the how of how that happens and what we do with that, that really elevates what's happening in those classrooms. We don't have a lot of time left and I still have so much stuff to ask, but (laughs) one of the things I really wanted to touch on before um, we 
left was the primary reason for the paper being written and the work around equity and justice through science and engineering. Um, I'd love to read aloud this excerpt from the intro. Although a group of academics and educators who support and study how young children make sense of and engage in science and engineering is unlikely to end systemic justice, such a group can use their expertise to try to work toward justice locally and societally. So that resonated for me, right, as a person of color with, you know, children of color. Can you break that down for us? What can an educator do to work toward justice when it comes to teaching science and engineering? So what we did in our report is we tried to, to broaden the understanding of what is science and, and engineering and why it's so critical. We, uh, in terms of our, our approach in, in the report for equity and justice, we argue for increasing opportunities and access to high quality science and engineering learning and instruction, you know, starting at an early age, to emphasize increased achievement, representation and identification with science and engineering. So right now, and the way we were sort of taught science, smart kids can do it, but they don't identify with it. They're like, I, I can do this, um, I can get an A in this class, but I'm not a scientist and I'm not an engineer. So we want children um, and students as they grow to identify like, you know, this is me, I, this is something I can do. I can think, I, I wanna learn about, about my world. I wanna make sense of, of who I am and uh, the people and the plants and the animals, everything around me. So uh, I want to, to be able to get a sense of, that I am a scientist and engineer. We also want to sort of expand what constitutes science and engineering. So it's not something that's done one and only one way. There's multiple ways. And if you go to sort of, sort of the um, website that was created for our report, it's again, it's entitled Science Engineering from Preschool Through the Elementary uh, Grades, the brilliance of children and strength of educators, we go to what says our work, you can see a number of presentations and a, a number of, of papers that, that we commissioned, you know, that show science, you know, from indigenous populations, lots of different ways to do science. It doesn't have to be an experiment in, you know, in the classroom. And then also seeing science and engineering as part of uh, the sort of justice uh, movement. So that's sort of what we ended up writing in, in the report. Uh, and there's a number of things that, that um, the teachers uh, can do. So we want them to understand why science and engineering need to be a critical focus in early childhood. And uh, it's important to have this greater alignment and coherence from preschool to the elementary grade. So you know, by adopting this notion of let's watch children, let's support their, their knowledge building in these content areas by engaging them in doing and thinking, you know, it's gonna help prepare the children. And then we work with, you know, lots of at-risk populations, prepare the children, you know, so when they go off to elementary school, kindergarten, oh, wait a minute, this is something totally different uh, than, than we've done before. And by really understanding there's not one and only one way to do science. So the, the goal is to get get the, the adults and young children's lives to see them as engineers and scientists, to be good observers, see what the kids are interested in and support that learning. And it's going to be sense-making. It's gonna be science and engineering. I just think something important that Daryl's bringing up is about both meeting children and educators where they are, right? So 
bringing scientific thinking to their learning is not about with young children, right. Is not about saying, okay, now it's science time, right. I'm going to teach you about science. It's about thinking, thinking about what it is that children are learning, thinking about what they're interested in, thinking about other concepts that they need to learn and bringing in scientific thinking as a process of inquiry. How do we ask questions? How do we observe? What do we notice? How do we try things out? What do we learn when we try things out? How do we communicate what we found? How do we try again? How do we make adjustments in order to potentially get at our desired outcomes, right? So I think a lot of times when educators think about science, they think about, oh, kids are not ready and that's intimidating. But some of the things that Daryl was talking about, it's like opportunities throughout the daily routine, right? During hand washing. If we slow down and notice, there's so many opportunities to ask questions, to get children to notice cause and effect during diapering, during mealtime. I remember when my daughter was really young, uh, she was playing with her cereal and she would usually just eat it dry. And as she got a little bit older, we started doing the cereal and milk thing. And I guess we were distracted and the cereal sat in the milk for a while and she took a spoonful of it and she spit it out immediately. And I took that as an opportunity for science nerding. I said, oh, is the texture different? Did that, did that cereal get soggy? It was so strange for her, right? Because when she first started eating, it was so crunchy, that thing she was familiar with. And all of a sudden it got soggy and it was different, right? So because I have this background in science, of course, this is a teachable moment for my child. And I, we had a conversation about texture. She wasn't totally understanding everything, but I was describing her experience through this lens of science. Then we were able to get a fresh Cheerio and one that we plucked out from her milk and we touched it and she explored it. And is she going to walk away with deep understanding around texture and the effect that milk has on things? No, but she had that experience early on. She was able to touch. It was relevant to something she had just experienced. So it's just bringing that intentionality to everyday interactions and routines that we have with children. Yeah. And it creates a foundation to build on, right? So because it gives you something to connect to at a further date as you elevate her understanding of those concepts. So wonderful. Yeah. You got to love people moments. <laughs> an additional comment. What, what Veronica said was critical. And, and the issue is meeting both children and adults where they are. We never want it to be one size fits all. Like parents, okay, now we all do science. Everyone does it the same way. You're absolutely right. Both of you, right? meeting them where they are, but being in tune, right? When we talk about educator sensitivity and just really knowing your children, where they are, meeting them where they are, individually supporting them <laughs> through their processes. And another way, science and technology in class are just perfect together. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining me today. I enjoy talking about how class supports science um, and math learning, the importance of and how early childhood educators can get more science into their day, how science shows up in our everyday lives, but also how to work toward justice through science and engineering. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, peachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. Thanks, guys. Thank you again. This was a pleasure. Thank <laughs> you.